and welcome to Doctor Who Panel to Panel. This is Jeremy B. Mench, your host, saying Happy Doctor Who Podcast Day and welcome to this special episode. For those of you who are longtime listeners of this podcast, I think you'll enjoy this episode because it features something that uh, we do all the time on this podcast, which is have an interview with a creator of some sort uh, in the world of Doctor Who comics or a, t- a tangent to Doctor Who comics. So we'll get to that here in a minute. But first, for those of you who may be new to this podcast, maybe you are a Doctor Who podcast listener of some sort, and for Doctor Who Podcast Day, you've decided to check out some other Doctor Who podcasts you may not listen to. First of all, let me say welcome and thank you for downloading this this podcast. And then let me tell you a little bit about myself. I've been a longtime comic book reader. I started uh, reading comics back in the 1970s. I grew up reading comics all throughout school. When I became an adult for 15 years of my, my working career, I ran a comic book and game store. So I know quite a bit about comics, but I've also been a Doctor Who fan since about 1986 or so. Um, I'm a huge Doctor Who fan, and when I discovered that there were Doctor Who comics, that have been coming out basically as long as the TV show. Uh, one, I knew I had to read these comics, and two, when the advent of podcasting came about, and I discovered that nobody else was really doing a podcast about Doctor Who comics. I felt that this was kind of my calling. This was a hobby that I would enjoy doing. And so that is how this podcast, Doctor Who Panel to Panel, got started. This podcast has been around for about nine years. I have uh, covered lots of news. My format is usually covering each episode. We cover the news, uh, what is new in the world of Doctor Who comics or comic-related stuff. And then I will do a review, whether it be a new story, uh, brand new Doctor Who comic story, or something from the past. And then the the best part of the episode of the show, uh, at least my favorite part, as well as the part I think most listeners enjoy, is I chat with writers, artists, creators, people who have worked on Doctor Who comics in some way, shape, or form, or are currently working on Doctor Who comics. I love learning about the craft, learning about how people get into their careers, whether it be writing or drawing, how they got into Doctor Who, what they enjoy about the show, just general chat and uh, finding out about what is going on in the world of Doctor Who comics or what has gone on in the world of Doctor Who comics. I take kind of my inspiration from John Centris's Word Balloon podcast, doing interviews with, with creators and mirroring that with my own podcast. With all that being said... Uh, Let me tell you a few things before I tell you what's going to be in this episode for Doctor Who Podcast Day. First of all, let me say that if you enjoy this episode, if you subscribe to my feed, please do so. You'll get the new episodes when they come out, which is roughly every two weeks. But then you can also check out the back catalog. Like I said, I've been doing this podcast for nine years now, and there's quite a bit to listen to. Unfortunately, not everything is available wherever you found this podcast, wherever you download your podcast episodes. However, if you go to archive.org and do a search for Jeremy B. Ment or Doctor Who Panel to Panel, you can find all the previous episodes as easy-to-download MP3 files that you can listen to on your podcast listening device or on your computer, what have you. One other thing i like to mention is that I'll, I have a website, which is DoctorWhoComics.com. I encourage everybody to check that out for a couple reasons. One, whenever a new previews catalog comes out, I put up the listings of what Doctor Who comic-related items are listed in the previews catalog. 
So you can go to your local comic book store and ask them to order stuff for you. But then I also include the latest Doctor Who comic news that it comes out, as well as preview images of upcoming covers, um, news, any kind of thing like that. And finally, on my website, there is a gentleman by the name of Rich Morris, who back in the David Tennant era did an online fan comic strip called The Ten Doctors. Rich is somebody who is a very talented artist who is a storyboard artist for, for cartoons. And so he did a Doctor Who comic strip that's kind of in the style of a storyboard. And Rich has given me the permission to reprint a page or two pages a week of his strip, which is a lot of fun to read. If you enjoy uh, Doctor Who fan stories, this one is right down your alley. And I encourage everybody to check out my website on Mondays and Thursdays. That is when I have new pages put up of this, of this uh, wonderful strip from Rich Morris, The Ten Doctors. So make sure you check that out. And last but not least in this intro, I want to uh, do a little service to myself and mention that I do have a Patreon page. If you go to patreon.com slash Doctor Who panel to panel, I am trying to raise enough money to kind of help support this podcast to cover the monthly fees associated with uh, hosting the podcast online. And I have a couple different levels in which you can help support please do me a favor, check it out. I would appreciate any donation that you are willing to make. I think I put out a good quality product, especially if you are interested in Doctor Who comics, because I am the the sole podcast for you to listen to on a regular basis as far as putting out entertaining quality uh, podcasts and episodes regarding Doctor Who comics. So please check that out. That is all I have to say, uh, tooting my own horn. So now for this episode of uh, Doctor Who panel to panel for Doctor Who podcast day. I'm going to feature an interview I did about a month ago with somebody who is no stranger to Doctor Who comics. He is from New Zealand. His name is Paul Schoons, and he did a book called The Comic Strip Companion. It's an unofficial guide to the Doctor Who comic strips pre-Doctor Who magazine that came out from Telos uh, Publishing, and he is hard at work on the follow-up volume, which will cover the, the beginning of Doctor Who magazine and the Doctor Who comic strips contained therein. But Paul is has done other things in way of Doctor Who. He is somebody who is a contributor to the Blu-ray DVDs. He does a lot of the info text that you read when you watch an episode and want to learn a lot of the, the behind-the-scenes stuff. He writes a lot of those info texts, which you'll hear about as, as I chat with Paul. Paul is a wonderful person to talk to. He is a good friend of mine. He is somebody who has been very supportive of this podcast since the second episode. And I think you'll enjoy this interview with a friend of mine, big Doctor Who fan, big Doctor Who contributor, Paul Schoons. All right, today on Doctor Who Panel to Panel, I am chatting with Paul Schoon, some uh, friend of the show and somebody I haven't talked to for a long time. Paul, how's it going today? Hello, Jeremy. Good to be back. Yeah, uh, you know, I know that you're always busy doing something or another, and uh, I know one of the things you've been working on lately is you've been doing some work for the uh, Doctor Who magazine, the Chronicles specials that they've been coming out with. That's right. That's right. I've got involved with those. I mean, they are fantastic. Have you seen the Chronicles magazines? Yes, I have. have. They've been they've been right. coming out over here uh, oh, on that's the newsstands or over in the bookstores. I've been uh, yeah. I haven't actually bought any, but I've been flipping through them every time I go to Barnes sure. and Noble. They're 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 fantastic. They're, I, I I really really admire them a lot. I mean, Marcus Hearn, who's the editor, is doing a fantastic job of putting those together. 
I mean, they just the 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 principle is quite simple, really. They're just one particular year of Doctor Who, and obviously looks at each of the television stories, but also a lot of the background details. So it might mm-hmm. it has a, like associated articles with about you know the the annuals, maybe the target books, the production techniques, the whatever it might be, the the yeah. exhibitions, and the first. And when you look back at the first four issues, one of the things I, I knew, you probably feel the same way, I felt that there was no comic content yeah. to them. Yeah, you know, I noticed that each, too. Each year, there's, the, the comics are published year-round, and yet the comics weren't covered, other than as a general aside and a, and, and a larger sort of overview of the year. Mm-hmm. So that I always felt that was a you know, an omission, but you know, I'm not, I'm not about to sort of start renting to, to Panini. It's their decision. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> they do what they want. <laughs> yep. Yep. It's their choice. I've, I've certainly, I've certainly done enough articles for Marcus over the years about, you know, general, general articles about various aspects of comics. So, uh-huh. you know, didn't want to be too greedy, but, um, but out of the blue one day, Marcus emailed me and asked if I'd be willing to do a, um, article on the comics for one of the Chronicles. I, I guess he, he, felt that maybe they had a gap in the issue and there was just an opportunity to do something different. Okay. And, and so that was for the, I've got them in front of me there. That was for the 1967 one, the Patrick Troughton edition. Okay. And so that was like the, cause 1967 is like Troughton's only just started as the doctor. So it's his first year effectively. Mm-hmm. And, and so um, I got commissioned to do a six-page article just about the comic strips from 1967. And this is just the um, the TV comic ones because there's a separate um, article done by another writer about the annuals. So it's not the sure. annual comic strips. It's just uh-huh. the TV comic strips. And I felt, okay, right. This is, I, I, you know, it was an open, I was given a word length, obviously, and I had to do a couple, a couple of box outs, you know, where you, where you split yeah. out a bit of the, bit of the thing. Well, into six, a, six pages is quite a bit for, it is, you know, it a year's is. worth of a comic strip. It's about 2,500 words from memory. I think it's about the, so it's a okay. substantial piece of work. Uh-huh. And I mean, I could have just gone through and just listed it, you know, just gone through and described each of the stories. And I thought, well, that's, you know, I've done that for my book. I wanted to take a slightly different route with it. So... I thought, well, I'm going to hang it on a, a an important development with the comic strip that year. So, to my mind, the big important development in 1967 was TV Comic finally got the rights to the Daleks. Yeah. And yep, so I thought, yeah. So, and obviously I got some of the paperwork, scans of the paperwork around that. So, so I was able to sort of hang it on, on, on that... Um, that premise that TV twenty one TV century twenty one comes to an end in January, and then TV comic immediately picks up the rights to the the Daleks, and then they re, they even rename the comic strip Doctor Who and the Daleks. So they they really go all in on it, and every second story is a Dalek strip. Yeah. And then about mid year, they they pack it all in. Suddenly, they're just going up. No, we're not going to do Daleks anymore, and that seems to be simply because it was costing them so much money with the additional rights fees that they had to. Oh, had to sure. pay in order to use them, mm-hmm. so that 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 was the focus of my article. But obviously, I you know I went through and and, and talked about each of the the comic strips, and particularly because um, later in the year you've got the you've got the um, uh, 
the Cybermen turn up in, 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 in the later strips as a sort mm-hmm. of replacement for the Daleks. So, you know, it's, it's a fascinating year for the comics. And so I thought yeah. this is really, really interesting. Uh-huh. And, and, and so that, that went down really well. The Panini and Marcus was happy with that. So when the next one came around, he goes, you want to do it again? <laughs> <laughs> so that was 1973. So, what was the big development in 1973 in comics? Is it going to be a quiz question for you, is it? <laughs> Jeez, I didn't know there was going to be questions. Uh, um, I'll, I'll, I'll let you off. It was that um, Countdown became TV action. Oh, okay. So, the, the Countdown comic that the John Pertwee strips were appearing in uh-huh. uh, was rebranded as an action comic. So, it literally became TV action and all the sort of the space related stuff was dropped and it became all like sort of mission impossible and, and that's James Bondy type stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think that because of the, the cancellation of the Apollo program in 72, that everyone was feeling, well, you know, it's all just, it's it, no one's interested. No, no oh, kids okay. are interested in space yeah. anymore. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <it makes laughs> Whether sense. that was true or not, I don't know, but that seems to be in the attitude of the publisher. Uh huh. <laughs> So, so I was, um, so that's, so that's my, that's what I hang that, that, that article on is, is about, you know, how, how the Doctor Who strip responds to the fact that it's now in a very much an action comic rather than a sci-fi comic. And, and then obviously the other thing that happens in the latter half of 1973, which would be legitimately another answer to the quiz question is that TV action is cancelled. And so obviously the action theme didn't work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh. And TV comic goes back. To, sorry, uh, the, the Doctor Who strip goes back to TV comic. Mm-hmm. So, but, but but still with the same writers and artists. So, yeah. Uh, so it's again, it, it was an interesting period of the comic strip. Just, I mean, it just happened to be it was nineteen eighty three because that's what the rest of the issue was about. So, mm-hmm. I could have been given a year where nothing went on, but it happened to be a year where I thought, well, this is an, this has got an interesting sort of narrative to it. Yeah. So, yeah. Tie it all together. And and. By this point, we've sort of a, a, a arranged a regular um, feature title called State of the Art. So whenever my, my article appears in, in the Chronicles, it's always called State of the Art, mm-hmm. which is a title that Marcus came up with, I believe. Sure. And then the most recent one I've done is the Sylvester McCoy issue, 1988. And so that's McCoy's first full year in the strip. Yeah. Um, because the his first story, Cold Day in Hell, um, which is John Ridgway's last regular one, that and where Frobisher leaves, that that's that finishes at the beginning of 1988, even though it starts in 1987. So I'm going to cover yeah. the end of that. Uh-huh. Um, and then obviously it's all the strips throughout that year with a variety of different artists replacing Ridgway, and and. So that's a, the, a, a sort of a, a radical development for the strip because, as, as you and I both know, Ridgeway had really defined the look of the Doctor Who comic strip throughout yeah, the 1980s. Definitely. Yeah, he, you know, <laughs> when I first started getting Doctor Who magazine, Ridgeway was the man. He was the artist, you know, mm-hmm. and 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 you know, my entire exposure to Colin Baker and the comic strips, particularly because we were so far behind on New Zealand television, was Ridgeway's illustrations. Yeah. Yeah, and so, just how amazing his his art style was. Yeah, yeah. So he just totally shaped my whole impression of what the <laughs> Doctor Who magazine strip should look like. You know, for years that uh-huh. was. You know, I wasn't used to seeing any other artists on the strip. It was just Ridgeway, Ridgeway, Ridgeway every month. Yeah. So, um, 
obviously 1988 is that big radical change where where he leaves and and we get a whole lot of different artists as as replacements and the the key thing around that is that um, Sheila Craner, who's been the editor of the strip, steps down, and Richard Starkings takes over as the comic strip editor, mm-hmm. and John Freeman takes on running the magazine itself. So my point is that those radical changes editorially are the result of of the uh, Freeman and Starkings taking on responsibility for yeah. the strip. And they both uh-huh. come importantly. They both come from a fanzine background. They're both fans of of Doctor Who. They're both fans of comic strips. Whereas I think Sheila Craner, and no respect disrespect her to Sheila, but I think that she was saw her role as much more of a group editor. She oversaw quite a large number of juvenile titles at Marvel. And you know, like Cindy Magazine and all that mm-hmm. sort of thing. And Doctor Magazine to her was just one of me that she had to manage in her day to day work. Yeah. And and so to have Freeman and Starkings coming on board who are genuinely enthusiastic, they just kind of reinvigorated the the magazine as a whole, but also more importantly the comic strip. So Yeah. I, I, yeah. Yeah, I would say that when they, they came on board they, they kind of Decided to shake it up, for lack of a better term, you know, yeah. time for a, a change in art style, change yeah. in, uh, you know, mm-hmm. what it, how it was coming about after, you know, being used to, to Ridgeway art and then coming, you know, going to Lee Sullivan and people like that to, to do something different. Yeah, this is Lee Sullivan's first um, first year on strip. As he does the Plant of the Dead um, multi Doctor yep. story in this one, and that, that I think that's his very first Doctor Who comic strip. Um, so, the other thing I didn't realize at the time when I was a reader back in the nineteen eighties is that Doctor Magazine came very close to being cancelled altogether in nineteen eighty eight. Um, yeah. the sales the sales have been dropping ever since the cancellation a couple of years earlier and obviously yep. trial of time lord and had not been a huge success with the audience and and just generally um and the the readership was dropping away rapidly and marvel uk were obviously looking at the numbers and going well is it worth continuing with doctor magazine should we just let it let it die mm-hmm. which is it seems <laughs> seems insane now looking back on it because obviously it's such a long-lived magazine it's just an incredible publishing phenomenon that's been going for so many decades but but it, it really was a point of crisis for it and i believe that that ridgeway sorry not ridgeway that um well yes ridgeway decided part of the reason ridgeway decided to leave is because he saw the he was he was party to the conversations they were having at the marvel offices he said he'd go in to deliver his artwork and they would be like saying, well, we're not quite sure if we can keep going. And so he'd be like, well, I better not. Yeah. <laughs> I better go and yeah. find work elsewhere. Yep, because... <laughs> yep, yep. I want to go where there's greener pastures. That's right, where there's actually not a stable job going. So uh-huh. he goes to work on Hellblazer for DC. And um, Starkings, who's a regular um, editor at Marvel anyway, is brought in to save the strip effectively cut the cost save the strip and um freeman is brought in to save the magazine altogether um and the way that starkings does this is that he employs um writers and artists who are right near the beginning of their career for the most part Mm. and so they are in terms of a page rate they're considerably cheaper than ridgeway who had built up such a sort of a a, a substantial career at this yeah. point. Yeah. 
you know that 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 they could he could Marvel could obviously pay less for a, for a starting out artist than mm-hmm. they could for someone who was well established. Well, it makes sense if you got to cut costs. That's the, one of the easiest ways to do it mm. is to you know if I'm gonna I'm gonna pay less. I'm gonna have to get somebody who's willing to work for less. To, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, it sounds it sounds a bit cruel in a sense, but it also it was the the financial reality of keeping the magazine going. I mean, the Doctor Magazine comic strip, and you've probably heard this from many people that you've talked to, is singularly the most expensive part of the the magazine to produce. Yep. Yep. Because um, there are just so many people involved in each page, and the amount of work involved in terms of the writing and the art, artistry, mm-hmm. the color. So you can even you can even look at that recently uh, during COVID time when they put the strip on hiatus. Absolutely, it was the it was the first thing to go, wasn't it? Because yeah, yeah, you know, that was the most expensive part. Yeah, you can you can save the magazine by cutting the comic strip. That's the yep. reality. And I think I think might what might have happened is if Marcus Hearn had stuck to his guns and going, we're not dropping the comic strip. We might have seen the magazine go altogether, or possibly get cut back to a quarterly or something like that. I don't know. I'm speculating here, but but I'm sure that there probably wasn't any other option on the table. Yeah, I wouldn't think so either. Yeah, and so, I mean, by doing that, Starkings managed to keep the strip at its regular eight pages throughout. 1988 and it's only the following year that he needs to cut the page count down and i think that's probably the first time readers were like alerted to the fact that you know oh heck if they're, they're cutting the page count then, then things must be in a bad way yeah so so yeah it's it, it's, a, it's again a fascinating year for the for, for, for the doctor comic strip and also too because it's the first year that it does proper crossovers with other marvel strips oh yes yeah. there's death's head and crossroads of time Mm-hmm. And there's the um, Grunzellum in the um, Plant of the Dead story. Yeah. Um, so it's. Well, was it that time too when they were doing that uh, strip in Incredible Hulk Presents, or was that the following year? Following year. Following okay. Year. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, it, it's. But it is that is all sort of under under sort of Starkings and Freeman. But it's just obviously mm-hmm. that continues on into the following year. So if I ever get to do write the uh, the 1989 <laughs> article, <laughs> then I'll uh, I'll cover that. I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean the, the the most unfortunately the most recent issue that they've just come out in the UK. I don't have a copy of it yet. Is 1963-64 because there's basically no comic strips for that. There's no articles yep. from me in there. Uh-huh. It's a little bit of shame, but if I had done an article, it really would have only been what clipped on parasites and nothing else. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's the only 1964 yeah. strips. So. Well, well, they have. I guess on the plus side, they haven't done too terribly many of these uh, chronicle issues, so there's still a long way to go for you to keep contributing to them. Well, I hope they keep going with them. I mean, they're sort of promoted as. I don't think there's necessarily building the idea is to build up to a part work as such, but I'm sure if they keep selling, they'll keep doing them, and they might fill in all the years. Mm-hmm. Don't know. <laughs> what would be a challenge is if they do some more of the modern ones and, uh, <laughs> and yeah. write about all of those. Because co- I mean, you, uh, there's a there's a point in the David Tennant and Matt Smith era, particularly where there's a huge explosion of comic strips. You know, both from Doctor Adventures and the uh, IDW and Titan and all that yep. sort of thing. It's just just there is so much to cover. Yeah, yep, there's a lot. Yeah, well, I, I, I think it's interesting to, to look at the comic strips, you know, uh, from year to year. And they're just as, to me, they're just as important as anything else that they're going to look at in those Chronicles magazines, you know, whether it be the, the book side of things or, 
uh, the annuals or any you know products and stuff that are coming out. Uh, they they definitely need to be taken a look at. Definitely, definitely. I mean, to, uh, I think you and I are, are very much of an equal mind that the comic strips are just play such a huge part in in Doctor Who's overall history, yep. and 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 they really need to be celebrated, and not enough people maybe pay attention to them. Yeah. So. Well, I know I know that uh, I'm happy with the fact that they keep putting out the the collected editions of the strips, and now they're even branching out and coming out with. Uh, like the Daleks, the, the the collection of the Dalek strips, the two volumes have come out so far. And, yes. Uh, yeah, and I know yes. you've been doing some uh, contributions to those as well, doing some uh, kind of commentaries for some of the strips that have come out. Yeah, yeah. The they've done two volumes which cover all of the Dalek strips from Doctor Who magazine, Doctor Who Weekly, mm-hmm. um, and it, it's basically two volumes published in the middle in order. So. I, I, I mean, the majority of them have been published before and in other collections, but yeah. um, the the Return of the Daleks one, for instance, has never been in a Panini graphic novel. And um, what was the other one that oh, in the other volume I just got in front of me here is the uh, the Peter Cushing one. Oh uh, yeah, Dal- Daleks versus versus the Martians. That's never been reprinted in a collection before. So those are the two two new ones but it's nice just to have them all collected together so if you're a dalek fan and a fan of the comic strips then it's just nice to have it all together there and you've got mm-hmm. all the um epsilon dark stuff's all there yeah one, one one collection and of course what happened with the original run of the panini graphic novels it was only halfway through that they went oh heck we should be doing commentaries at the back yeah, <laughs> so the early volumes don't have those. So when they wanted to reprint these, of course, there's gaps. So it's not just the ones that don't were never been reprinted before, but it's also the ones that didn't have the commentaries the first time around. Uh-huh. So um, the 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 editor of these collections, um, a guy called um, Ed Hammond, he got in touch with me um, because I assume he'd just been recommended to to me by um, Panini, probably Marcus Hearn, and said look you know we need these commentaries written to to fill these gaps in the back of the book uh, are, are you are you up for doing these mm-hmm. these dalek strips and i think initially he said he was he was putting together a list of what the dalek strips were that need to be included so i i helped him out with that because there were a few omissions and things and the page counts and all that sort of thing so okay. i helped him out with some advice on that that's how i got involved originally and then he said look can you can you help me out with the commentaries too so so he commissioned me to write the commentaries for three of the stories, which were The Return of the Daleks, which was the backup strip, mm-hmm. um, The Dogs of Doom, which is the Tom Baker Dalek story, yep. and the Peter Cushing one, which is the Daleks versus the Martians that I mentioned before. So those were the three that needed commentaries. And they were a challenge because, well, in some ways it was good because I when, when – I thought, well, I've got to write all this material to fill a page on, on each of these, and something like Return of the Daleks is like, well, that's a very old story. Does anyone remember anything anymore? <laughs> but I was fortunate that in several years ago, um, David Lloyd came to New Zealand. He's the the artist who wrote, who drew many of the backup strips from the uh-huh. uh, Doctor Who Weekly, and um, I. He was here to do a, um, a sci-fi convention, do a signing. Usually people want to see all this V for Vendetta 
get get all that stuff signed. Of course. And uh, he, he I I gone I know the organizer of these conventions, and so I got in touch with him and said, look, you know, I see that that David Lloyd's coming. Would it be possible? Would you mind if 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 I if you if I jacked up an interview with him like the day beforehand? And just sort of a one-on-one interview, just so I can just talk to him just about his Doctor Who strips. Mm-hmm. And so um, I got, in, he said, yeah, yeah, I have no problem with that. So that's cool. So I got in touch with David Lloyd, and, and we we checked out a time to meet in, in the lobby of his hotel um, here in Auckland. And um, I just took along all of the magazines that had, you know, all the Doctor magazines issues, all the weeklies that yeah. he'd actually had strips in. Uh-huh. And a list of questions, and and turn my dictaphone on. <laughs> we just, we just, <laughs> I basically opened the first issue and went, right. What do you remember? <laughs> yep. And I mean, no, to his credit, he, he was like, I don't remember anything about this. <laughs> but there were ones where he was going. He he, once he started looking at the artwork, and and studying what he could see in front of him, it was triggering memories. So. He, well, he, he'd, start, he'd start off going, oh, look, you know, it's a very long time ago, which it is. And yeah. he's done a lot of work on other things since. And so he's like, yeah, no, I'm just not going to be able to remember anything. But as soon as he started looking at these old issues, he's going, oh, look, oh, look. And he started pointing stuff out to me on the page and going, you know, you see this bit here? That's how I did this. And then we overlaid this bit. And all the lettering is the wrong size on this bit. And, <laughs> and all this stuff just started coming out. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's great. If I hadn't had those issues with me, if I hadn't thought to take all that, that big pile of issues with me, I think it would be a very short interview. But because yeah, he had that visual material in front of him, it just, just made a hell of a difference. Yeah, it was just like looking at uh, old family photographs. You know, yes. Yeah. I mean, you sit down with a family member and they can't remember anything, but you start getting the photos out and it all comes flooding back. Uh-huh. So. Yep. Oh, look, it's this person. That <laughs> I'm sure the artist is the same way. It's like, oh, yeah, I, yeah. I remember a little bit about this. I remember yeah. doing this page or here's a problem that I encountered uh, or here's where I yeah. came, how I came up with this alien or, you know, what have you. So, so my motivation for doing this interview with him was for my book so that I could actually, uh, you know, um, have all this material, background material to include in the book that, that uh-huh. I was doing. But obviously I had all this in reserve when, when the opportunity to do the, um, the commentaries came about. And I'm going, well, there's, there's David Lloyd talking about the very first backup strip that he did, The Return of the Daleks. And here's me being commissioned to, to do the... the uh, <laughs> The, the commentary for that, so it was like uh-huh. a win-win on that. It was kind of a perfect. Uh, it, was, it was a gift to me from my past, if you like. Yeah, <laughs> I'd, yep. I'd done the i done the homework years ago, and so uh, so it was about five years earlier I'd interviewed him. I think it's about uh, I can't remember exactly about 2016, 2017 that I'd interviewed uh-huh. him. So, but I just had all this, this 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 transcript all in front of me, so I was going right here we go. We just yep. pull these out. So that really helped. And in the case of Dogs of Doom. Which is the it's credited to um, Pat Mills and John Wagner, but as you may know, they actually split the stories between them. So mm-hmm. Pat Mills does two of them. He does um, Iron Legion and Star Beast, and and John Wagner did the other two, um, City of the Damned and Dogs of Doom. So I I thought, well, you know, John Wagner's never really been interviewed about Dogs of Doom. So I can't even really quote from someone else's interview. So after giving this some thought and, and being quite worried about how I was actually going to meet, well, I think about 800 words I needed to write on the commentary. Okay. I was going, oh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And and I'd found a Pat Mills interview. I think Vaught Vorp had done a Pat Mills interview. And the various and Pat Mills has been interviewed quite extensively over the years. He's quite mm-hmm. a big character. Yeah. And um, 
so there was lots of comments about Pat Mills' general working, um, you know, on, on the Doctor Who strips with John Wagner, but it wasn't specifically about his story because he hadn't written that one. John Wagner had. So, and obviously I was able to include comments from uh, Dave Gibbons as well because yeah. there's been lots of interviews with Dave Gibbons over the years, so there's no need to re-interview him. There's lots of quotes around from him. <clears throat> so... So I got in touch with um, a friend of mine, David Bishop, who used to edit 2000 AD. And um, David's originally a New Zealander like myself, and he's, we kept in touch even though he lives overseas now, lives mm -hmm. in the UK. And I said to David, because obviously David had, had contacts for a lot of, David's written a book called Thrill Power Overload, which is a history of 2000 AD from its beginnings oh, to, yeah. right, through the years. Great uh -huh. book. Um, anyone's interested in 2000 AD should definitely track that down. But I thought, well, he's probably had some contact with John Wagner at some point. So maybe he's got an email address for him. So I thought, this is a long shot. You can only try these things, right? You're going to get yep. told no. So <laughs> exactly. I thought, right, I'll get in touch. I'll get in touch with David and I'll ask him. And David goes, look, I'm happy to, I'm paraphrasing here, but David says, I'm happy to pass on your request to John Wagner with your email address so he can get in touch where he wants to, but be warned, he just doesn't respond. <laughs> you know, he's, he, he, he's, he's a, he's a character you can email him 20 times and he might respond once. So for whatever reason, um, he might be very busy. I don't know, but, um, maybe he just doesn't like to be interviewed. But so I, so I thought, okay, well, David's done that much for me. Thanks David. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll just sit back and see. And within 24 hours, it might pop up in my inbox as an email from John Wagner. <laughs> oh my god I'm, i've struck the lotto you know uh -huh. I've, I've won the lottery because there's david telling me there's no way you're going to hear from him but i'll, you can, I'll, try, I'll send him an email anyway yeah and so well, you said exactly the worst thing that's going to happen is going to say no but apparently yeah, well, uh, really quick say, somebody might say yes well yeah <laughs> i mean he's uh, to be to be john john to john wagner's credit he said look i'm i don't remember anything but i'm happy for you to ask me so i sent him questions and at David's um, recommendation, I attached, I clipped out panels from the strip to illustrate my points I was asking about, because sure. he said, David said, you know, you've got to trigger his memory somehow. You've got to like sort of get it. In the same way, I guess, like sitting down with, with David Lloyd. Exactly. You need him something. Same kind of process, you know, show, yeah. him, show him yeah. something so to, to trigger a memory mm -hmm. or a thought. Yeah. So now, unfortunately, in this case, it didn't help because he still didn't remember. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to do something. Mean, uh, John Wagner's had an enormous career after Doctor Who, so I have no way, no way disparaging him. Don't get me wrong. I mean, if, if someone interviewed me about something I did in 1980, I'd be struggling just as badly. Uh, so, yeah. Um. So I got to the point with our email back and forth, where I would sit, quote him from Pat Mills' interviews. I'll quote, I'll quote from Pat Mills' interviews and say, is is Pat is what Pat's saying here right? And John would say, no, that sounds right to me. If Pat's saying it, it must be right. Mm -hmm. so, <laughs> so I'm able to sort of use that in the interview. <laughs> According so to John Wagner. <laughs> yeah, exactly. According, according to John Wagner, what Pat says is correct. <laughs> yeah. So just slightly fudging it, but you know, the the, the facts are the same. You know, it's yeah. just it's, yep. it's not necessarily coming directly from from John Wagner in a lot of cases. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> but you know, it, it's it's a, it's a lot of fun, and there was definitely enough material to to, to put in there to 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 make it an interesting article. 
Um, I mean, the fascinating thing about it is, as you might know, is that Dogs of Doom started off as a television proposal. Yeah. Along with the other ones that they they, they wrote. And they were, they submitted them, I think, to Anthony Reid for, I think, season 16, I think it would have been the Key to Time season. Uh-huh. And uh, their ideas weren't taken up. And they were quite discouraged. You know, they're quite sort of discouraged by this. And then um, when Dead Skin... Um, employed uh, Dave Gibbons as the regular artist when he started Doctor Who Weekly and he was like casting around for writers. Dave Gibbons knew um, Pat Mills and um, John Wagner from their work on 2018. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so he was saying, oh, I heard they did some Doctor Who strips that never, you know, some, some, some ideas for television that never got taken up. Why don't you get in contact with them? Yeah. It was entirely down to um dave gibbons that the, the they start they wrote for doctor Who weekly and they basically just exhausted their pile of ideas so they submitted these four ideas to the to the the television series they'd been rejected and so they turned each of them into a comic strip yeah and the fascinating thing for me was it gets to the end of that and they go well let's let's write another one and then they go well let's let's and then they then they have the idea Oh, okay. Now it might be too good for the comic strip, so so they developed it for television, and that's what became um, Song of the Space Whale, which spent a lot of time in development. It was originally going to be Turlow's first story, and then it was going to be it was going to be the second slot of season twenty-two, and it got replaced with Benjamin on Varus. Yeah. And the reason I know all about that is because I did the production notes of Benjamin on Varus, so I was able to research all that paperwork at the time. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so, so I was able to pull that into the article too, just to flesh mm-hmm. it out. But, and then the third one I did was a lot easier because it's a lot more current. Um, Daleks versus the Martians from the 1990s, yeah. which Doctor Magazine Spring Special, and it was a lot easier to get in touch with Alan Barnes because Alan still works on Doctor Magazine, and Lee Sullivan, who still works on Doctor Magazine. And Lee, Lee must have been keeping a poker face all the time because I'm interviewing <laughs> Lee Sullivan about illustrating Doctor Dalek strips, uh-huh. which from my perspective, he hadn't done since Children of the Revolution and the McGann era. But he knew damn well that he was illustrating the David Tennant story and couldn't tell me about uh-huh. it. <laughs> didn't say one word about it. No. So he, to his credit, he didn't he didn't squeak a word of a word of hint or anything. So So I was totally in the dark the whole time I was interviewing him about that. And uh, and so yeah, it is really just the same. The same with Alan Barnes. He wasn't. He just wasn't letting on. So. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, <laughs> if you're if you're gonna get somebody to do a Dalek strip, there's no way better than Lee Sullivan. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So so yeah. So I'm I, that. I, it's not. It's not me keeping the secret there. I genuinely didn't know what was <laughs> going on because they 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 weren't telling me anything. So. Um, so, but that was a lot of fun because that the uh, it's the only Peter Cushing Dalek strip um, in, in Doctor Who magazine. So it was a lot of fun just to talk about all that, and mm-hmm. and, and it really is so much a homage to the um, the original um, comics annuals. And there's a there's a panel which I, I even got. Um, I said when I submitted the article, I said please, please, please put this panel in into accompany my article, which they did, which is the um, very famous one from the original Dalek annual, where you've got the the Dalek hover disc flying through the past the city with the the two humans clinging onto the side of it, and uh-huh. it's uh, um, Mary and Jeff Stone <laughs> from from the original Dalek annual, yep. and 
though I should say the Dalek book from 1964. And, and, and so that in, in the Daleks versus the Martians, it's almost a, a, a reproduction of that, that same angle with the Dalek on the hover disc with the, with um, Louise, who's the doctor, Peter Cushing's doctor's companion, um, clinging to the railing. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's 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 a it's a lovely bit of bit of comparison. <laughs> yes. Yeah, <laughs> I thought it was fun too. I mean, the the, the story revolves around the the Martian Sphinx, if you remember, uh-huh. and um, it, it, I, as I noted in, in in my commentary that the 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 mystery of the Martian Sphinx was still a thing in in uh, nineteen. 96 when the strip was published within a couple of years obviously the the nasa's um global surveyor sent back yep. pictures that showed there was no such face on Mars. yeah <laughs> so if the strip had been published a couple of years later it'd been completely debunked <laughs> that's it's nice still, still like would have made for a good story though yeah I mean, it's nice little <laughs> fact, trivia like that you can put into the uh-huh. in, into the commentary yep that is true <laughs> So I know I enjoyed those uh, those Dalek comp- or compilations that Panini put out. I'm hoping that they might kind of branch out and do maybe a Cybermen one to a company that, to me, that makes perfect sense. Can, can I can I just say that I can't say anything? <laughs> <laughs> you can read into that what no. you what you want, no. but it hasn't been announced. <laughs> well, as Stan Lee would say, enough said. Yeah, so. yeah, um, you know. I, I hope that they do a lot more of these graphic novels because I mean they've they've never reached the end of the the the, the stuff that from the, the the Marvel era. There's still strips to mop up from the specials and the um, the backup strips. So yeah, few, and, you know, there's, you know, there's, I think there's, as far as the backup strips go, I think this is kind of a to me it's a perfect way to kind of get them out there into yeah, editions because yeah. it's kind of tough to do any other way. Yeah, I mean, obviously you're going to get to a point where it's going to have to be an assortment because you can't do a whole book full of Silurians or yeah. or Ogrons or whatever. But you know what I mean. It, hopefully, it all gets done eventually. It'd be lovely to see all the all the Alan Moore um, Time Lord strips collected, for instance, because I think they're fantastic. Yeah, the, yeah, exactly. The, the, daunt, the daunting thing too would be to write commentaries for each of those. <laughs> <laughs> so, so on one hand, I'm going, "Oh, it'd be great to do these." And on the other hand, go, "Oh my goodness, it's going to be difficult uh-huh. because you know some of these people, i.e., aren't available for interviews or aren't alive anymore." So, so I mean, someone like Steve Moore, for instance, would be fantastic to interview, but unfortunately, he's no longer with us. Steve Dillon's no longer with us. So, yeah, you know, these are the people who shaped a lot of those early strips. So. Yeah. Oh well, we'll just make do with what I've got. <laughs> yep. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> but, and well, also too, you know, I've 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 been I I have pitched this to Panini in the past, and for whatever reason, it hasn't hasn't progressed at all. And I even put together a, quite a detailed proposal for it was to do a three volume collection of the countdown and TV action strips. Oh I thought, yeah. You know, that would just be. That would be fantastic. Oh, I would love that. That would be especially amazing. especially after Panini did the um, the TV Century Twenty One Dalek collection, which was just beautiful. Mm-hmm. To, to do something like that for the countdown stuff would just be uh, I, to me. It's a no brainer. But um, I think yeah. that there's there's two challenges with that. One is that a lot of the original artwork is lost, so it would necessarily have to be scans from the from the artwork, and I think you know from, from sorry from the published comics yeah i think that even with the best will in the world and the most restoration you're still it's still going to be obvious i think that it's going to be a a reproduction rather than the original art and the second thing is as you probably know is that's a quite a lot of them are two-page spreads mm-hmm. so with the with and the and the 
text captions and and speech balloons go across that that center line and that's really really hard to do if you're doing a bound book you know because you're going to lose some of that center line so and and they've done you might have seen it they've done a couple of um individual countdown stories have been and and Perry Goldbolt did some fantastic work in terms of that's what I was going to mention is the one that they when they came out that special uh, Doctor Who magazine issue about the seventies where they had that that yes uh, yeah they did Sub Zero yeah, yeah Sub Zero yeah. they did and where they yeah. were able to to mm. fix that that yeah that uh, so I mean to my mind it's just the gutter it's, it's, the gutter section there in the middle yeah if they can do it for the, that one they can yeah, yeah exactly they were able to move the word balloons around it, and, it, it, and it get pro- it so it looked perfect yeah it's proof of concept that it can be done mm-hmm. it's just obviously there's a lot of work involved in terms of restoration and and. And, and editing the artwork to, to make that possible. But, you know, it's, I think the demand's there. I, I, every, everyone I ever speak to about the comics is always like going, when are they going to do the countdown stuff? Yeah, yeah, I totally you agree. Know, the same that's thing the most desirable me. of the pre-Marvel stuff that's never been collected. Yeah. I mean, yes, the, the TV comic stuff would be lovely to have, but let's face it, some of it's a bit, a bit ropey in terms of quality. It's not, mm-hmm. It wasn't necessarily always drawn or written to the best standard. And so, yeah, I think you probably might want to be more selective of what you might want to reprint from the TV comic era. But I think that the countdown and TV action stuff is is really consistently beautiful to look at and and well written and and is deserving of of its own collection. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And I know the people that I've talked to uh, about the possible production of something like that. They've always said that without having the the original artwork to go off of the, yeah. the production quality wouldn't be up to their standards. Mm. But my response to that is always, well, something's better than nothing. You know, I was about to say exactly could, the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, if you can take yeah. the scan, the, the pages yeah. uh, of the issues and mm. clean them up to the best of your ability, it's still going to yeah. look head and shoulders yeah. above the, what a uh, back issue mm. of that would, would be. And, and, uh, and having that collected together would be yeah. great on the shelf. And I know you interviewed Marcus about this a while while ago, but when they did the um, TV Central Twenty One Dalek collection, <clears throat> they didn't. He, he most of it was scanned from the original artwork, but yeah. there were I can't remember maybe ten or twenty pages that they that they couldn't locate, so they yeah, were scanned like from the from the um, you know printed copies and then uh-huh. cleaned up. But I'm damned if I can tell which ones they are. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. So, which exactly. in my like, mind, <laughs> yeah, if, if, if we you can't, can't tell, tell the difference in between <laughs> the ones that were original art, ones were, that were cleaned up Absolutely. and and scanned from the original from the comic pages, it you can know, be done. Yeah, it's it can be done. It's just the how much it costs to, and what they think they can make yeah, off of something I'm, like I'm, that. I'm, look, look, I mean, I'm, I have no doubt in my mind that you know the difference between. I mean, we've, for instance, with these Dalek um, graphic novel collections. The vast majority of those strips have been cleaned up and reprinted before, and so yeah. they've already got the digital files at Panini. So it's a matter of dropping them into a into a new um, template, and 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 cleaning up the ones that they haven't reprinted before. So it's a no brainer in terms of of cost of production versus return on sales. So it's 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 very clear that these are economical books to produce. Yeah. So, you know, and I'm sure that the, the, the countdown ones, the, they'd be looking at them and going, it's going to cost us a bomb to do them. But, you know, it's probably yeah. a lot of people who buy it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I'm, I'm hoping that with uh, the Star Beast being turned into a, 
one of the specials that we're getting for the anniversary that that will kind of put maybe a little bit more of a focus or a new focus on the the comic strips that have come out in the past. What's, and, uh, what's the what's the bet that we will get a reprint of Starbeast before year's end? I I was just thinking I I saw something I believe on Facebook just a week or so ago saying yeah. that they were working on some sort of a new edition of the Starbeast to come out. Well, there um, you go. <laughs> so, but I, I I like I would and I think it's supposed to come out in like in October, like you know, right, right. before the special. Sure. Yeah. And I I'm hoping that if they come out with that and that sells really well, people go hey. You know, oh, the Star Beast is based on a comic strip for those people yeah. that haven't heard that already. Yeah, yeah. Um, that maybe they'll start going, oh, maybe we should come out with either like new editions of the, the previous graphic novels that they've mm. come out with for, uh, you know, Fourth Doctor, Fifth Doctor, back some of the original stuff, maybe with commentaries that they didn't put into the original ones or, sure. um, or just new, some sort of a new collection. Um, I mean, from a, <laughs> from from a personal perspective, obviously, I'd love for them to write to have their commentaries, <laughs> <and all. laughs> of course. But uh, but also too, I mean, this is probably a purely selfish thing. I'd I'd love for them to do deluxe hardback editions of the books too. Oh yeah, me too. I mean, I, I, I love I love the ones. I don't know if you ever saw them because I know they didn't come out in America. But the when they did the um, the complete history, they did a limited run of um, hardback graphic novels for the. I, yeah, Some I heard of, of them and I saw pictures, mm. but I never actually saw yeah. those. Now they're beautiful. I mean, the the interior is pretty much the same as the as the originals, but just the the feel of having that properly bound hardback edition. They're, they're just they're just they're just they're beautiful to hold, beautiful to look at, and 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 if if they were all done like that, it would be fantastic. Yeah. So so I've got fingers crossed. If you like, you say if they do, if the rumors are true and they do do a Star Beast, then maybe we'll get a nice deluxe hardcover edition. Yeah, that would That'd be, be awesome. Nice. That'd be nice. <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully, are listening to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hopefully, I always hope that whenever I talk about stuff that I wish for, it's like I hope somebody at Panini is listening to this, so that way they, you know, put some bug in their ear and somebody goes, yeah. "Oh, that's a really good idea. I'm glad somebody yeah. thought of that." Um, Listeners. Right into Panini and tell them what you'd like to see. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, so are are you anxiously awaiting the Star Beast uh, on your TV screen like the rest of us? Yeah, it seems like we've been waiting a very long time, doesn't it? Yeah, it sure does. Yeah, I mean that the trailer was ages ago. It's uh, um, yeah, but I mean, I'm I'm enthusiastic. I, I'm 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 looking forward to to any new Doctor Who, really. But um, yeah, I mean. <sighs> The thing for me with the Starbase is like going, well, okay, they're probably taking the basic idea of it, and from from what I can pick up from the trailer, it's. And I might be completely wrong, so I'll put it down now, and you can go back to this podcast when the episode comes out. Uh -huh. But the uh -huh. suspicion that what the story is is that it's about Donna's daughter, Rose Noble, plays by Yasmin Finney. Uh -huh. And she's playing the part of Sharon in the original Starbeast. Okay. I think. I think she's the from the what we see in the trailer. I think she's the one who discovers Beep for me, uh -huh. and and assuming that's what he's going to be called, and um, and and that that's the 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 idea. They're shoehorning the whole sort of Don and Noble family into the um. In into, in, the, into the Starby story, so it's yeah. replacing Fudge and Sharon and and Mrs Higgins. Yeah, so yeah, that so, makes sense. 
Yeah, so Donna Noble might be having a cup of tea in the kitchen with the Raft Warriors, for instance. I don't uh-huh. quite know, but that's my suspicion that that's the way they'll go with it. So, and it's to me, to my mind, because Russell T. Davies is is such a fan of the domestic sort of kitchen drama sort of approach to Doctor Who with the families and everything, that that this this Star Beast is a particularly appealing story for him because it's just it's it's one of the first Doctor Who comic strips that really does domestic everyday life clashing with with, with a Doctor Who plot. Yeah. Because it's school I, kids and, 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 and a, mother, a solo mum and all this sort of thing and, 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 a, and a housing sort of development and, you know, and, 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 a, and a not, not, not a, you know, it's not sort of a, it's, it's a working class environment in, in, in Black Castle and, and it just sort of like, this is not something we normally see in Doctor Who. So, so it's quite a, I think for all the reasons, I mean, Starbase is just such a well-remembered and well-loved story. Yeah, I think that's why, I think Russell is one of those who finally remembers that story. I think that's kind of why he went for it. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he, he was a, he's, he's been on record saying that he's been a, a subscriber for Doctor Magazine since probably the very beginning. And uh, there's, mm-hmm. there's, there's one issue that's actually got a letter from him praising the comic strip as well. So it's... Yeah, it's a it's a no brainer that he'd want he'd want to do that. And the the interesting thing is, is are they going to leave it at that, or is the rest of the Doctor Magazine comic strips open fodder for adaptations? Might we see, might we see later on maybe something like I don't know, the gift with the with the with the musicians because obviously Russell's hinted at doing like a sort of a music episode of Doctor Who. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's it's intriguing that it could be opened right up for for you know. Yeah, for, for, for all sorts of um, comic strips. I mean, I mean it's mind-boggling. Might we see the Voyager arc done as a as a television story? I mean, that almost seems impossible, doesn't it? But it does. That, that <laughs> one, I, I still just the the sheer magnitude of that story and how vast and spacious or, and stuff it or is. For, or for the very same reason, Tides of Time would just be an impossible yeah. story to do. Yeah. I'd I'd, but, I'd like to see something like 4D vistas with the with, with the 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 um, ice warriors in the Antarctica. It would just mm-hmm. be like, yeah. Was it Arctic? Sorry, it's the Arctic, isn't it? But yeah, it's yep. just yeah, something like that. Just a real action epic. But um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, the potential is vast. There is. There's. You know, there's it is. It's like, coming back to your point. Yeah, I'm. I'm very excited. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also too, because I'm. I'm. You know, I'm still working on this. 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 This great albatross of a book that's been hanging around my my, my head. For oh, years. That, that was good. I was saving that one for last. I was going to ask how work is going on. <laughs> well, two I don't want the... to publish it. I don't want to publish it at the moment because I want to include the stuff about about the star beast in the book. <laughs> <laughs> so the ideal time to publish is next year once the star beast is out. There and uh, I can actually have a chapter in the book comparing the two. So yeah, yeah, that's I guess plan. that's true. So that's the plan. Don't hold me to it. What what seems to happen is every time I tell someone I'm I'm getting close to finishing the book, something comes up and I have to put it aside again. I, I'm I mean I do lead such a busy life and I do so many jobs that, that t- trying to find time. I mean, sorry, while I say to you, you know, I'm I doing this commentary or I'm doing this article with Doctor Who magazine, but the reality is that from beginning to end, I can write those in two or three days, maximum, because you know they're relatively short, yeah. and so the the. 
I can do that much on the book, but it's only a small dent in watches, which is a phenomenally long book. So, yeah. yes, I'm always adding bits to the book, but but you know what I mean. It's still not quite finished. But but like I say, that's an incentive now. Once once the star beast is out there, and I can do a proper article to go in the book. Because I think if the book was published now, because it's obviously it's going to cover Star Beast, everyone would be going, well, why aren't you talking about the television story? Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's important now, I think, to, to, to yeah. wait until it's out. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I totally agree with that. Mm. And, uh, so, since, yeah, maybe it's a learning for next year. <laughs> <laughs> so, since you stole my final question, I, I, uh, are you oh, still doing uh, the, the commentaries for the, the DVD and Blu ray releases? Yes, yes, I am. And I have to be careful again because some of the ones I worked on haven't been announced yet. I'm sorry to be so secretive with you. But um, yeah, the most recent one that's come out that I've actually worked on, uh, that I, you know, that actually uh-huh. <laughs> I can tell you about is probably Mark of the Rani. Um, okay. And that's on season 22. I've yep. done Vince Barros on the same one, but that's obviously I've done that for the DVD. So I just. I tweaked it basically. I, my editor okay. Martin Wiggins and I sat down, and went, "Okay, what, 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 what do we want to update all these years later?" So we made some changes and updated okay. some stuff about the actors and everything, and changed a bit of the spelling and and you know some of the subtitles are going. Well, that wasn't particularly well written. Was that my own work? But are going, I, you know, once you've written something, years later coming back to it, go, you can see where you made the, you know, yeah, you, really you like, oh, I could have said things. that better. Yeah. Yeah, so I've been able to do that for Venus on Varus, and before that I did that for Dragonfire on the Season 24 box set too. Just revising the work, but not completely rewriting it, just just okay. tidying it up a bit. So it's mostly 90% the original um, subtitles. But, but um, so, so for Mark of the Rani, you said that you, you did that one. That's did... a complete fresh. That's from scratch. Okay, because, so because Mark happened? of the Rani was originally one of the earliest DVDs, it's oh, okay. one of the, and those ones they the um, subtitles didn't have access to all the production paperwork, oh, so okay. they were so, largely based on what we knew about the stories from articles in Doctor Who magazine and interviews with the actors and everything. Whereas the way that we do the comic the 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 commentaries now, well, I say now, I mean ever since about two thousand eight when I first started working on them, is yeah. we look at, we we we. For, the, the way the way I describe it, you forget everything you know about the story and start from scratch again. So you're not encumbered by false, false okay. you know, stories. I mean, there's yeah. one I'm working on at the moment, which I, I obviously I'd love to be able to tell you about. But there is a very long and you'll well if I if I tell you the 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 the, the general now when you when it's announced you'll go that's what he was talking about. Uh-huh. But there's a very long established general understanding about why the story happened as it did where it did that is completely wrong you go into reference books the way that's talked about it it's completely wrong because when you get access to the paperwork which obviously these writers who wrote the books at the time didn't have access so they were just i suppose just surmising what had gone on once you see the paperwork you go no that's not how it happened at all so it's the, the commentaries give you the opportunity just to sort of clear the decks in terms of what you think you know about the story and start from scratch again. Okay. And and in this case, I was so doubting myself that I actually emailed a couple of the other people that work on these things, like Chris Chapman, who does some of the documentaries, uh-huh. um, and uh, and a couple of other people, um, Richard Bignall, who does the um, 
the the archiving of the of the paperwork. Oh, he does such a phenomenal work on that, scanning all the scripts and scanning all the paperwork. What a thankless task. But yeah. anyway, so I emailed them and said, "This is what I've come up with based on what's on the paperwork. Am I right? Because it's it contradicts all of the reference books." Uh huh. And they go, "Yep, yep. yep. You, what you're saying is absolutely <laughs> correct." <laughs> so yeah, there is a there is a big myth to be busted when that comes out. So yeah, I'm quite well, that, That's interesting to hear because you know that that kind of gives me a, a new outlook on the 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 subtitles and the production notes that you do, especially for the the ones that have all new ones. Because yeah, it, it, I don't think yeah. a lot of people know that the the some of the first DVDs that came out, like you said, um, didn't have access. The people that wrote up all those sub the, mm. the subtitles and production notes yeah. didn't have access to all the information. So now having all that extra information that gives you a, yeah. a, a as, whole fresh outlook on things and a whole new as, you know things a, to talk about. As a general rule, and I think the DVD started in about two thousand two, two thousand and three. So from then up to about I think two thousand and nine those ones are the ones that need to be redone. Mm -hmm. So they've redone some of them because remember there was the revisitations box sets with the, with, with the, with the, with the DVDs. And so some of them were, did special editions of the DVDs. So yeah. they've, they've been redone and I did some of those. I did, for instance, um, Venus on Varos. I did Resurrection of the Daleks um, and, and Kaiser and Azani are all ones where we did a, revised version of the dvd and so i got to do the subtitles for them so when they come up for blu-ray at some point in the future they you know the work's been done and but i can still go back and change anything i'm not happy with yep and and but there are then other stories i mean well there's we're only halfway through the range, aren't we? If we look at the classic series, it's basically yeah. 13 box sets. So we're, we're literally halfway through 26 seasons. It's the halfway point. Yep. So, so for those are remaining 13 seasons, which may come out in any order. Um, and even that changes. So even though I know what the next two or three box sets are going to be, it may <laughs> not be the case because the, the order keeps changing all the time. <laughs> mm -hmm. So the order in which I get commissioned to write these subtitles is not the order in which they come out. <laughs> I'll give you an example. Um, just before we went into COVID lockdown in 2020, the first time around. Yep. For New Zealand anyway. I don't know what it was like for you, but, <laughs> but, but we went into COVID lockdown in about mid-2020. And I was working on a set of subtitles, and I thought, I'm so far behind on the set of subtitles, I'm panicking because I'm not going to deliver it. But because we went into lockdown and all the rest of my work shut down, I was going... I've got the time to finish it. This is a blessing. You know, I've actually, the universe has spoken to me and gone, here is the time you needed to get this work you're panicking about done. <laughs> and so I, I got the set of subtitles for this story finished and I sent it off to, to, to my editor on time by deadline, which I never would have been able to do if it hadn't been for lockdown. Uh -huh. <laughs> it still has not come out. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> and we are three years later. <laughs> <laughs> it hasn't been announced. It hasn't come out. I go, I didn't need to do that, did I? All yeah, that yeah. <laughs> All that rushing around for nothing. But, you know, on the other hand, it's done. Yep, <laughs> it's locked yep. out. It's, the, you know, it's been delivered. It's been edited. It's it's ready to go when the BBC's ready. So there's no, there's no worried. I'm suddenly going to get an email going, we need it next week. So, you know. <laughs> 
I've, I've cleared my debts and nothing else, yep. and I've been yep. paid for it. So, yeah, I'm, not, I'm not waiting on payment. That's all, all taken care of. So well, that's I'm awesome. <laughs> I just like to be able to tell people about it. Because <laughs> uh-huh. that's one thing. I can't say anything until they, you know, for obvious reasons, I can't, yeah, I can't yeah, definitely. Until, until they do the announcement. So hopefully any day now, keep an eye on social media, because I'm sure we must be going to get an announcement any day. Yeah, I don't know for a fact. I just feel like it's, it's time. Yeah, yeah, I know when I was listening to Radio Free Scarrow, I think it was last weekend, they said that we're we're due for a, another Blu-ray announcement. You know, yeah, anytime now. It does it does feel like that, yeah. And it's obviously been the anniversary year. Surely they want to get something out this year. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So we're 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 midway through the year and we haven't had an announcement and going, Yeah, it's gotta be any day, any day. <laughs> yeah. And um yeah. And like I say, I don't even know which one it's going to be because they keep chopping and changing. <laughs> <laughs> it might be a complete one. It might be one I've never, I haven't worked on. Because I've been, for instance, I haven't worked on any of the 60s stories. So, because they, oh, okay. they don't need re- redoing on the commentaries because they're all, they're all yeah. considered particularly well done. So, because uh-huh. they were released later in the range, they don't, they don't, you know, they're all done properly the first time round. Yeah. And, oh, but I did do the um, audio commentary for the lion I recorded that not oh, so long yeah. ago. So, so, um, I, I, I actually pitched that to, to, um, Russell Minton, who's the, the editor of the, the Blu-ray range and said, look, you know what, how about this for an idea? Because I think when we recorded it, we were still in lockdown maybe, or, or COVID restricted things anyway. So yes. everyone was recording stuff from their own homes, and I'm going, well, yes, we're 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 in New Zealand and you're in the UK, but this is how you do stuff anyway. So what's the difference? So because normally they'd all get together in a studio yeah. in London to do the recording and the commentaries, but they'd had to work to a new way of doing things with the COVID. Yeah, because of COVID. So yeah, so they had this system that they'd devised for obviously the actors and everyone else who was doing the commentaries, whereby that we had the um the video of the um episode playing in one stream and I was all, and on a completely different audio stream we were recording our commentary. Oh okay. And there was myself, Neil Lambis, Bruce Greenville, Steve Roberts and Toby Haydock doing the the uh, moderation for it. And, okay. and 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 so we just chatted for one episode about we didn't actually talk about anything we were seeing on screen, so it might as well not have been there, but it helped us to keep the time. <laughs> we we uh-huh. knew when we ran out of time. Basically. Yeah, you know, we're going to be um, We were just else. talking about, about finding and returning the lion. So it was nice that finally to get that on an official thing because um, over the years, uh, it seems for, for probably just through accidental rather than any particular agenda is that the people who might myself who are involved in finding the episode haven't really been um acknowledged on anything whenever they've released the oh. story you know mm-hmm. particularly on the original vhs there was no mention of us so yeah. even though we've done the legwork of actually getting the, the story back to them so so yeah it was nice to finally be on an official release talking about our part in the find so yeah so that, that, that that and particularly neil who's who's um, someone who's never really probably had his part in the the find particularly well um, talked about. He he got to say firsthand about his uh, um, his involvement. So so that was that was really great thing to do. I felt very like we were finally like given given our due, if you like. And, and if anyone's got the the season two um, 
Blu-ray box set, then I recommend put on the audio commentary for The Lion and have a listen to us talking about that. Definitely. Uh, it sounds like you got your fingers in all sorts of different areas of Doctor Who, whether it be the uh, subtitle production notes or the uh, commentaries for the Panini graphic novels or uh, the Chronicles issues that are coming out. You're just a busy, busy man on the Doctor Who <laughs> and, and we And we haven't even talked about Vorp Vorp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which you and which you and I are both involved in. <laughs> yep, yep. Well, that 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 one. Uh, uh, I know I I enjoy flipping from issue to issue. I I still haven't finished reading the most recent issue. It's still sitting here on my stand right beside me, and every once in a while I know, grab it and read articles. Do you know, do you know and, the terrible thing? When I get the issue, I don't read them. Oh, really? <laughs> because and the reason for that is quite obvious when I tell you. It's because I've proofread all the different versions of it. Oh, yeah, so you've already read I've, numerous I've been times the proof, over. I've been the fact checker and proofreader for Vorp Vorp ever since the first issue. Oh, really? And so I've just talked to Colin Brockhurst, who's the editor, all the way through. We've never met. I've, I've just talked to him on email all the way through. And I think what happened was originally I, I got in touch with him when when they announced they were doing the first issue. And I was going, well, I'm doing a book about comic strips because I don't think my book would come out at that point. And and so we just basically started talking about talk to comic strips, and so he started started sending me pages from the the first issue he was working on, and I was pointing okay. out, oh, you've got that bit wrong, and that's great, and but that need, doesn't make sense. And he's going, oh, can you proofread the rest of it for me? And I've just kept going. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so I mean, literally every time. Colin will just send me a batch of pages, and then I'll I'll make changes on them. He'll 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 obviously go through those and and decide if he wants to make those changes or not. And then he'll send me the corrected versions, and I'll read them again to make sure that the changes he's made are okay. And I might point out something else or something else will change. <laughs> and so by the time the actual printed copy arrives in the mail, I'm going. I've read this so many times <laughs> that I don't need to read it because it's just also, you know, it's also familiar to me. But it's so lovely to have a physical copy of something that I've been staring at on a computer screen for months and months and months. Oh yeah, I totally understand that. The amount of work that Colin puts into that is just phenomenal. It's just it so immaculately designed. Yeah, and it's all just—it's just a fanzine. It's non-profit fanzine. He's not I, a job for him. I just that, that's that's what it. I say. Every single issue is like this. Yeah. is the the most professional-looking fan production of anything yeah. I've ever seen. Yeah, it's like there, there's magazines that are on the newsstands that don't look half as yeah. good as Vorp Vorp yeah. issues do. Yeah, and, uh, a, 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 a while ago I wrote an article about my. Um, my, my my DVD my Blu-ray commentary work for for Celestial Toy Room, which is a Doctor Appreciation Society fanzine, and I made a comment on social media going, "I haven't written for a fanzine in years." And Colin goes, "You write for what? What?" And I go, "Yeah, but I don't I don't instinctually think of it as a fanzine. It just doesn't exactly come to me. No, it's it's as it's as good as anything that Panini puts out." So, you know, on one hand, I'm going, this is fantastic. On another hand, I'm going, Colin, I really wish that, you know, this could be a professional <laughs> venture for you because, mm-hmm. you know, I just feel feel for him putting so much work in for for just, just you know, for the love of it, basically. So, yeah. Yeah. And I know uh, they're yeah. they're hoping to get another issue out in time for the anniversary uh, from yeah, when yeah. I want to talk to Gareth. So, yeah, uh, no doubt it'll be more proofreading for me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I did, well, I don't um, love the proofreading. Yeah. You, you can make contributions too, don't you? Some uh, yeah, I, articles I, and stuff. Oh, the um, the article I wrote, oh, I wrote the article on the um, the Golden Wonder 
comic strips, but I'd done that for oh. the previous issue and it got held over. So that was done quite oh, okay. some time ago. And the other one I did, which was a lot of fun, was the um, the Karen McCoy script for the the animated series that never happened. Oh, okay. And <laughs> that was that was fascinating because all I got sent was the um, audio recording of a group of fans in a hotel room reading the script aloud, performing the voices. So oh, okay. a, I had to work <laughs> out what they were saying. Uh huh because they were sending it up a little bit. So I also had to make a judgment call about were, were, were they making a joke or was it actually what the script was, the script was saying? Uh-huh. And also, too, there were other people in the hotel room. There was a couple of kids screaming and yelling and their mother trying to calm them down. And everything. <laughs> so it was, a, it was a challenging audio to get through. It wasn't big finish, put it that way. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I'm, I'm happy with how the article turned out. And, and something that that only came to light and i'm sure he won't mind me saying so but um one of the podcasts i follow and have been a guest on is um jason miller's um target book podcast yeah yep and doc, it's called doctor literature and well we're checking out i follow that every week and um jason um i've been a guest on his um his podcast and i i think i'm booked in to be again at some point and and he he um email me shortly after the, the Vorp Vor issue came out and go, you do realize I'm one of the voices on the audio. And I hadn't. Because <laughs> it was when he was a kid, you know, he was, he was uh-huh. a teenager or whatever. Sure. And he's obviously, yep. you know. Yep, way back when. Yeah, way back when. So I just didn't pick up the fact that he was he was playing this part on this this audio. So. <laughs> what was coincidence? But it was quite a great too because I was saying, you know, because I'm trying to work out what I think I can hear on the audio. So I was saying, well, is it true that this is the case? Is it? And, and, and one of the things that Colin and I were speculating about is whether everyone was drunk. Because it is a convention. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, well, it makes sense. <laughs> but it, it's just, it is American fan enthusiasm, apparently, and everyone was completely sober. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess from a British, more reserved British perspective, it sounded like they were all drunk. <laughs> <laughs> so you might want to attribute that to a difference between American and British fandom, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the Americans, we, li- we like to have our alcohol. Yeah, but it, it sounded like a lot of it, it sounded like a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Well, I know uh, it, it, for me, it's fun to to see all the stuff that you do for for Doctor Who, whether it be commentaries or um, the the eventually upcoming uh, comic book or comic strip companion. Um, yeah, stay comes tuned. Out. Yep. <laughs> uh, so, Paul, it's always a, it's always a pleasure to chat with you and get caught up. Uh, it's always too long between our, our conversations, so uh, Absolutely. Uh, I'm, I'm glad well, to hear everything's going well. And that, uh, I, I'm already looking for me, Yeah, it's an incentive for me to finish the book because then you can have me back on, right? Oh, definitely. You know, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm already looking forward to our next conversation. Awesome. So, so Excellent. thank you for supporting my podcast, and thanks, thank you, my friend. It's been a pleasure to chat with you. Pleasure too. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Paul Schoons. Paul, like I said, is a great friend of uh, the podcast. He is somebody who's super knowledgeable when it comes to Doctor Who comic strips, and he is also uh, a, a great contributor to Doctor Who in way of stuff that he has done uh, in the past and currently for Doctor Who Blu-rays and DVDs, and uh, it's always great to chat with Paul. I hope you enjoyed that, uh, that interview with him. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Dr. Who Panel to Panel as well. If you are a longtime listener, thank you for downloading this episode and listening to it. And uh, if you are new to this podcast, 
I hope you enjoyed what you heard. If you enjoyed it and are a fan of Doctor Who Comics, I encourage you to subscribe, hit the subscribe button, and add this onto your podcast listening. A new episode, episode number 165, will be out in just a few days' time. And then, pretty much like clockwork, every two weeks a new episode comes out. I think you'll enjoy what you hear. If you enjoyed this this episode, there will be more like it in the future. So, with all this being said, I hope you enjoyed Doctor Who Podcast Day. I hope you took an opportunity to check out some of the other podcasts in the world of Doctor Who that you may not normally listen to. I know that's what I have done myself. And um, until next time, until next episode of Doctor Who Panel to Panel, this is Jeremy B. Mint saying bye. Doctor Who Panel to Panel, the podcast about Doctor Who comics, thanks you for downloading this episode. Let us know what you thought about this episode or of Doctor Who comics in general. You can find us socially on Facebook at Doctor Who Panel to Panel, on Twitter at Doctor Who P2P, 2B in the number 2, and online at DoctorWhoComics.com. Download previous episodes via your favorite podcast service and find the complete catalog of episodes featuring amazing interviews with creators past and present at archive.org. Just search for Doctor Who Panel to Panel. Thank you.